It's Wednesday night, and I've been talking to you about how God has ordained everything. The good, the evil, everything. Without a, without a down, there will be no up. You can't be on the top of a building or on the bottom at the same time. Without wrath, there is no mercy. You wouldn't have a definition for mercy if everything was good and sweet and and it was all ice cream and cake from here through eternity. Uh, if you have, God had to create his own wrath in order to have mercy. So he has to create these vessels of wrath and fits them for destruction. Some will say, well, the movement of that verb, fitted, is where they're fitting themselves. That's right. God puts them in that position where they fit themselves for destruction, and he doesn't put a restraining hand on them, and he's ordained them to be that way. To me, I don't see how you could believe that there's a God over everything and not believe he's doing everything. He works all things after the counsel of his own will. When it says he works all things, what does all things mean? It means everything, good, evil. It means bugs crawling across the ground, birds flying through the air. It means trains running into each other. Or it means having a car wreck. It means everything, divorces of God. People say, wow, that's blasphemy. That's not blasphemy. Without people going through divorce, people come up and say, well, you can't get married again if you uh, go through divorce. That's ridiculous. And God won't have his blessings on your life. The Bible says over there in Deuteronomy 24, I don't know how I got on this. I didn't mean to. But... The Bible, you have to understand that God tempers his mercy. He tempers his wrath with mercy. And over in Deuteronomy, he says, the 24th chapter, 24th chapter, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes. Now this is talking about adultery. Because Jesus addressed this same verse when he said, when he, he said, if he find any uncleanness, I'm talking about adultery in that fifth chapter of Matthew. Because he had found some uncleanness in her, that would be adultery, then let him write her a bill of divorcement. Gosh, I don't want to go into this. But the bill of divorcement came. The, the Pharisees said they could separate from their wife. Separate and not give her a bill of divorce. And the Bible says it's not a true, it's not a real Divorce without the the separation, without the bill of divorce. The separation without a bill of divorce is not a true separation. Then he goes on to say, when she is departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's 
wife. Now, the Bible says you can go and become another man's wife if you go and divorce. you got to realize, when the Bible says in Leviticus, if a woman commits adultery, that she has to be taken out and stoned. This woman is not going to be able to be married unless and get the bill of divorce unless she is repentant. There's a difference between a woman being stoned. It's just like David. David committed adultery and murder, and the penalty for that was death, wasn't it? Under the law, why wasn't he put to death? Well, Nathan stood in front of him, the prophet, and said, Thou art the man, you're guilty. And he said, Oh, I have sinned. And he repented. So, and when she may, she may go and be another man's wife, and if the latter husband hate her, and write her a bill of divorce, when it giveth it into her hand, and sendeth her out of the house, or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband can't take her to be his wife again. Now, I just simply put that in there. I'm talking to you tonight about, I'm talking about charismatics. The charismatics, of course, they're loose on uh, divorce and remarriage. In fact, they're loose on adultery. They feel like they can go out and do that, and God will forgive them on Sunday morning. I'm talking about the doctrine of the charismatics and the things they say you can do that you can't do. I wanted to go back over here to Romans 11. I've been talking about how that God has ordained everything to be the way it is. Everything has been ordained by God. Go to Romans 11. God has created everything. I got very disappointed last night. I was looking at the Internet, and I saw J. Vernon McGee on there, and I thought he was a good old man. He was to some degree, but he was denying predestination. I thought, oh, man. And he was saying God would be unjust. God would be just if he made everybody in the world vessels of wrath, fitted to destruction, and put us all in hell. It's called mercy that he doesn't do that to certain ones. He's just whatever he does. He's just because he's God. Now, the Bible is right when it says your thoughts aren't my thoughts and your ways aren't my ways. We can't think like God if he says that he made men vessels of breath, fitted them for destruction, and they're going to hell because he wants them to go. That's his business, not ours. Now, Look here in Romans Romans 11. And we've been looking at a verse here. The charismatics say you can get what you want by saying it with your mouth. They call that positive confession. Is what they call it. That flies in the face. Positive confession means that is their will to be positive about what they want. The only people we can, the only confession we do that's righteous is the word homologeo, H O M O L O G E O. That's true confession. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. And we've already concluded that confession is is not just saying with the mouth. 
It is saying with what God says, and it's agreeing with God. Confession, homologeo, is a construction of homo. Some people pronounce it homa. I don't care how you pronounce the O, just as long as you pronounce it. Logos or logos. Homo means of the same. And we, that is, that is the word we use in this day and time, homosexual, of the same sex. Well, this means of the same logos. Logos is the Greek word word. It means to be of the same word. You can't have a positive confession unless you are agreeing with God. And he doesn't want everybody rich. The charismatics say he wants everybody to have lots of money and be well off. That's absolutely not true. During the first century, the only people that were well off were the Pharisees that were cheating everybody out of their money. The Pharisees and the scribes. There were, Israel was not a land of wealth in the first century. When the Bible speaks of wealth, especially over there in Deuteronomy, the 8th chapter, there's a verse there. They use all these verses out of context. Deuteronomy, 8th chapter. Look at that one more time. Hold your place here and go to Deuteronomy 8, and they pull this verse out. I'm going to just give you some verses they use tonight, and they pull them out. And make them mean whatever they want to mean. Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. Now, they're coming out of 40 years in the wilderness. And God is saying, when you come into the land. When they come into the land, they're not all going to be rich. He says, I took care of you in the wilderness. You, I humbled you. I gave you man in the morning. I gave you doves in the evening there in verse 3. And he says, when you come into the land, beware, verse 11, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day lest when thou hast eaten and art full. You got all you want, all you need, got more than you need, and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. When you get what you they would call rich, they didn't call rich what we call rich. They didn't call rich uh, having a new car or a new fleet of camels or or a whole bunch of ships. That's not what they call rich. They called having a house, having a house, you got a flat roof on it, and they would call having a fig tree outside their house and having a donkey. They would call that rich. They called this rich and having a field to grow food in. That's what they call rich. And he says, when you're full, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, 
and thy silver and gold is multiplied, if you get this rich, and all that thou hast is multiplied, here's what will happen to you. Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God. That's what happens to you when you get rich. Which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Then it goes on down here in verse 18. This is a verse they pull out and read this like Israel is getting wealthy and they've got diamonds and pearls and gold and silver and all kinds of wealthy clothing and houses and lands. Verse 18, But thou shalt remember that the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. See, God gives you power to get rich. It doesn't say rich. The word is kayil. C-H-A-Y-I-L. That is not the normal word for wealth in the Old Testament. That word right there is used over a hundred times and it's always either armor army it means to power have power to overcome the enemy now I go into a long explanation over this it would be what God said in Deuteronomy the 28th chapter if you're obedient to me and do the things that I say he said I'll fill up your fields I'll fill up your wombs with healthy children and you'll go against your enemy one way and they'll flee seven ways, and you will have kayil over your enemy. He's not talking about money in this word wealth. God, it, God is the one that gives you the power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, where he said, you will have power over your enemy, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Now let's go back over here. I don't like the charismatic movement. They're the lyingest bunch of people on the face of the earth. I don't know if you realize this. To be a charismatic, you can be a Baptist, Pentecostal, Roman Catholic, Episcopal, a Church of Christ. You can be anything and be a charismatic. Are y'all familiar with that? That the charismatics are like Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Myers, Fred Price, Creflo Dollar, and all those people but all of them claim to be a different denomination T.D. Jakes claims to be an apostolic or excuse me a united Pentecostal same thing they believe in baptizing people in water in the name of Jesus only and when you're baptizing them in the name of Jesus only you have to pronounce those words over them or they're not saved as you go down in the water, I baptize you in the name of Jesus only. Well, that uh, blood baptism does away with that. But they say you can't be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You have to pronounce those words in the name of Jesus only. And they are they are what you would call uh, oneness people. They don't believe in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When Jesus was on the cross and he said... Uh, he said, uh, Father, forgive them. Or 
when he spoke and he was talking about into thy hands I commend my spirit he should have said into my hands I commend my spirit because Jesus on the cross was the Father and the Holy Spirit that doesn't make any sense there's three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, and the Spirit these three agree in one now go back over here I'm simply bringing out some points that these people know nothing about if you can say with your mouth and get it which is what they say and they twist things like over there in Romans 4.17 uh, God quickens the dead and calls things that be not as though they were they say calling things that be not is positive vibrations that comes from your mouth calling things that be not is raising the dead the next verse tells you that the next verse says that Abraham considered not his own body now dead he was 99 years old when God promised him that he'd have a son he didn't have any seed or any sperm anymore and then Sarah's body was dead she didn't ovulate anymore she didn't have any more egg but Abraham considered not his own body now dead neither the deadness of Sarah's womb but the Bible says he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief staggering his unbelief that's the word diacrino they use that they use all these other verses about speaking it if you'll say to this mountain be thou removed be thou cast in the sea and not doubt in your heart well a mountain the whole context of that chapter in the 23rd chapter and the 11th chapter of Mark the whole context is about Jesus cursing a fig tree when it was against Jewish law to kill fruit trees in the Old Testament the last two verses of Deuteronomy 20 against the law to kill fruit trees and that's all Peter could have in mind when he said the next day when they passed the fig tree and he said he said behold the tree you cursed is dead Jesus don't you know it's wrong to do that you see over in the 17th chapter of Leviticus you could you commanded to kill a fig tree if it was five years old or older not bearing fruit which since Jesus was God and they came into Beth Bethphage, we call it Bethpage, it means house of figs, since they came into the house of figs, and there were fig trees everywhere, bunches of them. And Jesus curses the he went up to it to see if he could find fruit thereon. Well, they call this positive confession. Anytime you say something, if you'll say to this mountain, Be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea. There's some problems with that. They don't know what a mountain is. There were two mountains in the Bible. There was Zion. That was the mountain that, that Jerusalem was built upon. And there was Babylon, the mother of all idolatry. And she was founded on let us make us a name. So if you say to the mountain of self, Peter was arguing with Jesus. He he said, you killed a perfectly good fig tree. E-D-E. E-I-D-E. That is, a, that is a cry of shock, of exclamation. You, you killed a fig tree. Jesus, don't you know better than that? Then he said to Peter, have faith in God. I'm God. I know how the fig tree is. 
boy, there's so many things in that in that context that Jesus looked from a distance. He saw the tree had leaves. If the Bible hadn't said that, you won't know what's going on. The tree had leaves. There were pre-season figs that came before the leaves. They were small, sweet figs. Then leaf season came, and then the fig season came. Fig season. Well, he came up and it had leaves, but the time of figs was not yet. But it didn't mean the time for the tree to bear figs. Time of figs. You can look up fruit trees in McClunnick and Strong. It will tell you time of figs meant fig harvest. So the figs hadn't been harvested. It had leaves and there was no figs on it. There should have been pre-season figs on it. So he cursed the tree and then Peter gets shocked at him and says, you, you killed a perfectly good fig tree. What's wrong with you? Peter was shocked. He only had in mind Deuteronomy 20, and he wasn't even thinking about Leviticus. If you know, part of the... I have people call me, write to me. A guy called me last night. He said, are you the guy that invented the Greek language? I said, yeah, that's me. I said... He said, uh, what are you reincarnated so-and-so and so-and-so? I said, do you not recognize sarcasm when you hear it? You evidently have not listened to the rec- listened to the tape. If you listen to it, I said, people accuse me of making these Greek words up when I preach predestination. And I said, what I'm doing, I said, I'm going to, well, if you're going to keep accusing me of making it up, I'll go ahead and take credit for it. And he hung up on me. <laughs> if you see that tape, I'm the, man, I'm the guy who invented I haven't been reincarnated. I was being sarcastic to the people saying, you're making all that up. No, I'm not. Comes out of the Greek text. Now, let's get back here to this verse. God is doing, he's done all things and you can't question him about what he's doing. Now, what all is he doing? Everything in the world. If we can get that through our heads, maybe we can sleep at night. You ever stayed awake because you're thinking of all the things you want to get done and all the things you want to do, and you wonder, how can I keep this guy from cheating me? How can I keep that person from stealing from me? How can I keep this guy from... God has ordained it all. All of it. If he's ordained you... Now, I can't be 240 or 50 pounds or whatever... Glenn is. I don't know how much you weigh. Keep going. Huh? <laughs> what? Keep going. Keep going. 260, 270? Uh, 265. 265? Uh, 255. 255. <laughs> I will never be 255 pounds in my life, and I will never be black. If I want to be black, <laughs> I can't get myself black. Well, I guess I could. I could do like that guy. This guy wrote this book, Black Like Me, and he injected himself with this die and he kinked his hair and he went and there's a book I've got it at home black like me 
This was in the late 50s. And he went down and lived in southern Alabama. He said, I have never been so done wrong in all of my life. And he said, I couldn't go to the bathroom. I couldn't I couldn't stay at a hotel. I couldn't go anywhere. And he really revealed some stuff about being black. And he didn't have to be. He just did it because he was writing a book. But I can't. you can't be but what you are. If you're black, God made you black. He wants you to be. If you're white, he wants you to be white. If you're striped, he wanted you to be that. If you're tall, he wants you to be that. If you're big, he wants you to be that. Whatever you are, if you got sickness like Dave, he wanted you to be that. He wants you to be what you are. If you have problems with your neighbor, he wants that in your life too. What's he doing with them? Well, they are those people over there in Psalms, the 17th chapter. Deliver me from the wicked, which is thy sword, Lord, and thy hand. The way God chastises us, when he says, he says, wicked people are his hand, right? And if he says, wicked people are his hand, he turns around in the New Testament and says, humble yourself under the hand of God. Is that a different hand than over there in Psalm 17? No. And the Bible says, over in Colossians, the second chapter, some people have a voluntary... He said, don't you be fooled by voluntary humility. Anybody that volunteers humility, it's fake. Uh, We've had people come here. They look as humble as the day is long, look gentle and quiet, and they talk quiet. They're not. Humility is not something that exerts itself. Let me just say this. Humble, tepanua, T-A-P-E-I-N-O-O. Tepanua means to level mountains. You have a mountain of self in you. That's the outer man. Mountains and hills. That's one writer's definition of it. Well, the mountain we level is Babylon that's built on self. Let us make us a name. And that is not a choice. Make us a name. That's the Babylon in all of us. But humble in the hand of God is evil men. You cannot voluntarily Humble yourself. That's not possible. How could you do that when all you've got is the outer man? Well, you have more than the outer man. You've got an inner man. And that's Christ in you. And the outer man is self. And Paul said all that does is serve the law of the flesh. That's the part that's got to be humbled. And how long does it take to God to put you on your face? Let me make this statement one more time. You cannot, the more humble some people act around people, that don't mean they're humble. 
You cannot be humble to God and man at the same time. If you're humble to man, you're trying to court their their gentleness to you, trying to get them to do you right. You're not supposed to try to get people to right. You're supposed to humble to God and be straightforward with them and bow to God's will even if man don't like it and he won't. Has anybody got a hold of that yet? The more humble somebody looks in the flesh, they're not. It's not what a man looks like that makes him humble. What is it that makes him humble? Do. That's what he does. If a man humbles himself to God, he won't go around advertising his humility. You'll hear about him. You'll hear about what he does for people and the world. He won't just look like a real gentle, quiet, nice guy. The quieter and the nicer they are, the more dangerous they are. Did you know that? I found that out in business. I found that out in this ministry. When somebody never loses it, that means they're acting like they're not human. You know what they are? This describes men like that. (laughs) Now, let me put it this way. They are acting nice. They're acting nice. Nice is not... The only people that are nice are people with brain damage or they were born with brain damage or people that are oh the people that's got the down syndrome huh down syndrome down syndrome yeah the people with down syndrome are nice but you can't be nice I've got a track over here that says being kind is not nice Kind is the word krestos. Or krestatos. These are forms of the same word. Krestatos. Krestatos. When the Bible says the goodness of God leads you to repentance. The goodness of God may be a bankruptcy. It may be a divorce. It may be cancer. God's good to you when he does that to you to cause you to repent. Nice is the word. It's a French word. N-I-S-C-E-R-E. Nisquer. It's a construction of nay, meaning no, and S-C-E-R-E. Scare, it looks like it resembles it, But it's our word science. And science is knowledge. It means no. No knowledge. The only people that have no knowledge are Downs people and people that are brain damaged. Now, if you get brains damaged after you've had good sense, 
Well, you're in danger with God. If to act nice is act like you don't know what's going on and how many people in our society act that way. That everybody you know, they act dumb. They play, that's playing dumb. Let me tell you, Billy Graham wasn't as nice as he acted. He acted like, I don't ever look at women. I don't ever. Yes, you do, just like all other men. Boy, you have to force yourself to look away. You know how I know that? I'm a man. It's easy for me to figure out. When people act like they're too good to be true, believe me, they are every time. You have to have something in your personality shows a little fire of some kind. Now, let's read this here. Look at when the Protestant Confession people say, "We, I can get what I say with my mouth. You can. The only reason they say that is they want people to give to them. Let me tell you about the charismatic movement. They prey upon the poor and the needy. There's a lot of the world out there that's poor and the needy. And they tell the poor and needy, if you send your money to me, you will prosper and have lots of money and have good health. Prosper and be in health. That's not our word prosper. That's not our word health. That word prosper is you. Hodos, it means well way. Jesus said, I am the way. And he said, narrow is the way. Now is a form of the word tribulation. So it's a tribulation way. And health in that verse in 3 John 2, Hoogie, I know, is the same word Paul used when he would speak of sound doctrine. It means uncorrupt words. So he's not talking about you can have your way with God. How can you tell him what to do? And that's what this verse says. Verse 34, For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Who's told God what he needs to be doing? Counselor is the word sum, boles, S-U-M-B-O-U-L-O-S. O-U-L-O-S. Bulos is a form of B-O-U-L-A. Bule. Bule means purpose. And soon means with. To be blended with God so you can show him his purpose. How can you know the purpose of God? Now the next verse. Or who hath first given? Who hath first given? The word given, pro didomai, I gave this to you last week. Pro didomai. Pro didomai means to give before anybody else is given. Who hath given, first given to God, and it shall be recompensed at apodidomai, at apodidomai. 
that who has given to God and God has to give back to him again. That's the same thing as pro quid pro like they've been talking about on TV that you cannot give to God to give back. Now man can do that to man but you can't give to God to get back from him because of him and to him and through him are all things the good, the bad, the evil, everything is of God. Now I've got some other verses on that. Look over here in Colossians 1. Well, let me go ahead and read that last verse. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. You can't give to God to get because he owns everything. The charismatics say if you give to God, he's obligated to give back to you. Now, there's a verse over here in John. Let me give you this. All right, in Luke 21. Let's go to Luke 21. And they pull this out of context also. Luke 21. They've got a preacher named John Avanzini out of Fort Worth. The guy is a maniac. It's crazy. Uh, I had a guy that used to be connected with this ministry, and he was in the... Uh, termite business down there and he went out to John Abenzini's church and he said in the in the vestibule where the people gather you know before and after church he said he had a picture of Jesus sitting on a rock and he had a bag of gold in each hand it said gold in each hand just foolish and John Avanzini uses these verses over here in Luke 21. Let me give you the one that in Mark, over in Mark first, uh, in Mark 12. Let me give you Mark 12 and then Luke 21. Because Mark 12 is where he really twisted all to pieces. Verse 41. And they called John, Paul Crouch used to call John, John Avanzini up to TBN at his big specials to give the hundredfold blessing. And he said, if you give a dollar, you get a hundred dollars back from God. He asked, God is obligated to give that back to you. If you give a thousand dollars, you get a hundred thousand dollars back. That's a pretty big interest rate, isn't it? Verse 41. Jesus sat over against the treasure and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury and many that were rich cast in much. And there came a certain poor widow. She threw in two mites which make a farthing. A mite is one of the smallest coins in the first century. And he called unto him his disciples and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that this poor widow hath cast more than all they that have cast into the treasury. For all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her want. And John I. Benicini stops there and says, she wanted something from God. 
says that every time he quotes this. You can't get back from God by giving, except that's not our want, word want. That word want is the word hoosteresis, H-U-S-T-E-R-E-S-I-S. <coughs> Let me put this up here. H-U-S-T-E-R-E-S-I-S. It means poverty. She didn't want something. She gave of her poverty. means penury, deficit. She gave of her deficit. She didn't have anything, and she gave it all. And you see the Luke's account of the same thing in Luke 21. Go to Luke 21. And he puts it, the reason I put the other chapter first, this one puts it really the way it is. Verse 1, And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have their of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury, who's to rest us, her poverty... She was penniless. She didn't want anything. She was doing it out of commitment to God for the poor and hath cast in all the living that she had. That kind of lays it out there. Now, you can't just do whatever you want with God. Look over in Colossians. I'll give you all of these I can. Colossians 2. Uh, Colossians 1, excuse me. Colossians 1. Colossians, the first chapter. All right. Now let's look here in first chapter and look at verse 16. For by him were all things things created that are in heaven and that are in the earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him period the next verse and he is before all things and by him all things consist. The word consist means to be held together. To be held everything is held together. I, I think of when I think of that, I think of the I think of the atoms. A T O M. Let me erase some of this. I think of, let me, in an atom, you've got a nucleus with neutrons and protons. The neutrons have no charge. Protons have a positive charge. 
And then you have, and these are so finite that we can't see them with a microscope with a naked eye. They're so small. Then you have electrons in the outer orbits. And these electrons are so small they don't even deserve an atomic number, the scientists tell us. They're so small they can't be detected. Most of what your body is made up of, everything your body is made up of is atoms. When you connect one atom with another atom, then you have an element. And every atom is looking for another atom. This outer orbit of electrons is called the valence. The valence. And this, most of what is between this protons and neutrons and the electrons, they're so small, this is all air. What you're made of mostly is air, nothing. If you can reduce all the matter that's in your body, I ran across something I had had some years ago, and I just ran across it last night. This is what you're made of up of. You're basically nothing. If you reduced, well, I can just tell you without going to it. If you reduced us to the matter that's in our body, it would be one one hundred millionth of a cubic inch. All you've got in your body is one one hundredth of a millionth of a cubic inch of matter. You're basically nothing. That's what the 62nd chapter of Psalm says. If men of high degree and men of low degree, if men of low degree are placed, placed in a balance, they are altogether lighter than nothing. And men of high degree are vanity. If that's true, then we're made up of nothing. And you could get lost if you reduce down to this. And they get all the water and all of the matter and put it in one spot. You would get lost on the head of a pen. You couldn't even cover the head of a pen. That's amazing, isn't it? That's how unimportant we are. In fact, look back there at, in Psalms 62. This is a, I love this verse. Verse 9. This The writer's they didn't have this in mind, but God knew it, so he inspired them to write it down. Surely men of low degree are vanity. That would be guys that work at the supermarket, sacking groceries, 
or driving a truck or working down here at the department store. They're vanity. They're hebo. Hebo, that's the word vanity. It means worthless. And men of high degree, that would be the bankers and the lawyers and the high-class people. They're a lie. They're an out-and-out lie. You can't be worth $3 billion and not have cheated anybody. And Donald Trump is worth $3 billion. Let me give you one worse than that. You know the guy, Bloomberg, that's running for running for president, Bloomberg, he's the mayor of New York. Y'all know who he is. He makes Donald Trump look like a pauper. He's worth $53.5 billion. He's going to save the world. Yeah, he's going to save the world. He's probably just going to buy the world. But Trump is poor upside of Bloomberg. Saw him the other day on the on the internet. I was looking up all these guys and how much they're worth. I saw that. Whoa! Now you can't give to God to get. We've already said that in Acts seventeen, in Acts the seventeenth chapter. I'm just going to give you these as I think of them. Acts 17. I've read this before. I won't read it again. I hope you get it stuck in your mind. God hath, verse 26, God hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined, determined is the word horizo. I've said this before. Determined. Horizo. Prohorizo is the word predestinate. But this word horizo is arist indicative, which means by the tense of the verb, it's past tense. If it's past tense, pro means before. You can substitute pro for an aorist indicative verb. So, what this is saying, let me read it the way it could be, with the tense of the verb, and hath predestinated the timing of everything. Everything that's going to happen, the timing has already been predestinated. The times, kairos, K-A-I-R-O-S. We'll get the word karometer from that. A karometer is a timekeeping instrument. I got one on my wrist. It's called a watch or a clock. So God has predestined the timing of everything, and the timing of everything has been before appointed. Protasso. Tasso means 
an orderly arrangement beforehand. The timing of everything has been prearranged already. If you have a car wreck, that's already been prearranged. If you have a car wreck 10 years from now and you get killed in it, that's been prearranged. Whether you like it or not. The timing of everything has been preordained. And there's a boundary to the timing. A boundary is just like, it's like a transmission. It's a housing. Timing has got to happen within the housing of God. Before appointed is the word protasso. And the bounds of the habitation of all the timing of all things. That word bound, kautokia, means the residence. Okia means family. And kato, this is, means down. The, the settling down of everything that's going to happen has already been ordained by God. And man cannot trespass what God has already ordained. You think you can fix things by worrying? I have thought I could fix things by worrying all my life. You can't fix your health. You can't even make yourself do exercise you don't want to do. God has to put that desire in you. If you ever desire to exercise, he has to put it there. Some people are disciplined better than others. That's a God-given thing in their life. I know I've studied more than most people. That's God-given. But I didn't at first. I would read and quit and read and quit and read and quit and read and quit because I did couldn't make myself keep going. Has anybody else been there too? I know you have if you say you had and you're lying. Because I had a lot of push to do what I was supposed to do. But it was real hard when I first started. Now, so the timing, and always what goes with this is Job. Go to Job. Job. Job 14. I'm going to say this slow, so I hope you can understand this when I say it slower. Job 14, 1. Man that is born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Seventy years is a few days, and every day of your life is going to be problems. And it's supposed to be, especially if you're a believer, does that depress you? Or do you want to lie to me? Now, I know it depresses Dave. He tells me every day, but it depresses the rest of you, too. I know that. Doesn't it? When you go out here and you try to look at the world and they don't want to hear the truth. Man comes forth as a flower and is soon cut down soon you're just a flower is all you are look over here in James 4 look at James 4 I'm not going to leave in that James 4 
and verse 14. James 4. I'll get away in a minute. All right. 14. Wherefore you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It's gone. I can't believe that I'm 80. I feel like that kid that I was back as a teenager. I feel like the same basic person, but I know I've had a lot of experience. I can't believe this is going on. I'm right close to death, and I I was always little Jimmy Brown, and I was young-looking, kid-like when I was young. And I keep thinking of myself as that same guy. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. You say, well, I'm not old like you. You will be day after tomorrow. It will seem like day after tomorrow when it happens. Let's go back to 14. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Just like a shadow. It's gone. I wrote a verse right here. Look at Job 7, 6 and 7. Job 7. 6. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is wind. Mine eyes shall no more see good. Job felt really depressed. He says, I wish in that third chapter, he said, would to God I had died from my mother's womb. He said, I just don't feel good about life at all. I've lost seven sons and three daughters and all my substance. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Though the Lord, though God slay me, I will trust him, say, he said. Boy, it's hard to trust God when you, everything is flying away. I've had that happen in my life. When I went off to the hospital in my mid-40s and I was nearly come to close to death, I, my clients all flew away. Mary would say, how are we going to live? I'd say, I don't know, but I'm going to preach. I don't know. Now, let's finish up 14. Who can bring a clean thing? Verse 3. And dost thou open thine eyes upon such an one, and bringest me into judgment with thee? Who can bring a clean thing out of unclean? Nobody can clean themselves up. Seeing man's days are determined. Everybody here has got an exact number of days you're going to live. And then it's over. Boom, you're going to die. The time is already set how I will die. I don't know if it'll be in a car wreck. Might be a heart attack. Since I've already got heart trouble. But that's okay with me. Because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better than this. The number of months are with thee. The number of months that you're going to live are already with you, and you don't have any longer to live than that. Thou hast appointed his 
bounds his cock. Q-H-O-C-H-O-Q. God has appointed our ordinance, appointments, set time, that he cannot pass over that. You can't pass over the amount of time that God has set for you to live. And a lot that you do, if you come to the place of God's sovereignty over everything, that may help you a little bit a little longer. But if you don't come to believe that God is in charge of everything, you'll stress out and stress out and stress out till you have a heart attack, till you have something happens to you. The older I get, I have come to the place of realizing that everything is ordained by God. And I've noticed that I'm healthier at 80 than I was at 65. I'm, my health seems to be increasing. I don't fight breathing. I used to fight to breathe in the pulpit. If you watch some of my messages out of when I was 55, <laughs> and I'm pulling out that breathing thing and that pro air or, or ventilin and spraying it in my throat in the middle of the message 8, 10, 12, 15 times. You don't see me up here with it now. I don't have a hard time breathing. Breath was my... When you can't get your breath, that's the most frightening thing there is. Having a heart attack is not frightening. When you're going, and you can't get any air in, and you feel like you're on the bottom of a 100-foot swimming pool, and somebody gave you a straw as thin as a hair to breathe through, and you're going, I can't breathe. Give me to the hospital. I have done that in the middle of the night to Mary and Mike. Say, drive fast, drive fast. Hurry up, hurry up. Slow down. (laughs) And I was really having a hard time breathing. Now, so nothing's going to be changed. He goes on down there and he says, in verse 7, there is hope of a tree if it be cut down that it will sprout again and that the tender branch therefore will not cease. Though the root thereof wax old in the earth and the stock therefore die in the ground. He's talking about himself. Will I grow back up and spring up? For through the sin of water it will bud and bring forth boughs like a plant. But a man dieth and wasteth away. Yea, man giveth up the ghost and where is he then? It's kind of like, kind of like Ecclesiastes says. You don't know anything after it's all over. Now, I want to go back to some of these verses. Look at Job 35. I'm talking about you can't tell God what to do. Job 35. I got, before I go, well, let me see Job 35. Sometimes I don't know which one of these to go to first. Job 35 and verse 7. If thou be righteous, what giveth thou him? What do you give to God? 
And what receiveth he of thine hand? The answer is nothing. Look over in Revelation. Look in Revelation, the fourth chapter. I keep saying, you can't give to God to get. It's not going to happen. Revelation, the fourth chapter. Fourth chapter. Look at this last verse 11. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. He's created all things and all. Well, if he's created all things, He's created all things that move, all things that don't move. He's created trees, and he's created trains. Trains were here a million years ago. They were in the ground, and they were unmelted, and they had been put in a furnace and smelted, but they were here. New York City was here a million years ago in the ground. All we've done is taken everything and put it in a shape and taken credit for it, haven't we? Now, so they were created by and for him. That's exactly what John 1, 1 says. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And all things were made by him, the Word. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then it goes on to say, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And the word is Christ. So he is responsible for making all things and the timing for everything. There's an entire chapter on timing. It's over there in Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. Ecclesiastes, the third chapter. Let's go there. Ecclesiastes 3. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, third chapter. The third chapter tells you there is a time for everything. And all timing has a housing where it's going to happen in. It's housed in an exact, exact time. And the timing of all happenings is already set in all of our lives. What we do as human beings, we get it in our heads that we can change these things by worrying about them, by taking thought. The Bible says, take no thought for your life. Merimnao. Don't be distracted from the things of God. It means to be diverted from the things of God by the things of this life. Being concerned. Boy, it's awful hard not to be concerned. Take no thought for your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, or how you'll be clothed. Don't worry about your clothing, or your food, or your housing, or your what you're going to be wearing. God takes care of the birds of the air. And look at the lilies of the field, God says. Solomon in his glory wasn't arrayed as one of these. You think he can't take care of you, O ye of 
little faith. Oh, God spares this. If God will so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, it's cut down tomorrow and thrown in the oven to make bread with, or it's cast in the oven of the sun to be burned up. Shall he not much more clothe us, O ye of little faith? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek is the word zedel. That's another word for worship. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these food, clothing, and shelter will be added to you. Now, all things are of God. I want to give, I want to give you another verse that the charismatics go crazy on. Let's go over here to 1 Corinthians. Not 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, the third, not the third, I'll get it right in a minute. The eighth and the ninth chapter of 2 Corinthians. There's a verse in here that the charismatics use. They don't have any earthly idea what they're talking about. I mean, none. Second Corinthians, the eighth and ninth chapters. How much time do I have, Mike? Twenty-three. All right. Now they will come into this eighth chapter. Might take me a while to go through this. They use this right here in verse 9. Nobody in the first century was rich except the richest of people. And in Israel, that was only the Pharisees. They take this verse 9 and they try to make something out of it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that ye through his poverty might be made rich it doesn't mean our word rich the word is pluteo p-l-o-u-t-e-o now first of all the thing that most people don't have any idea about these chapters right here chapter 8 and chapter 9 in any commentary you look into it's in pulpit commentary it's in Hendrickson's commentary it is in Calvin's commentaries they will all tell you something about 8 and 9 that you don't ever hear any preachers talk about these two chapters are called the benevolent chapters. This is not about taking offerings for the church. This is taking offerings for particularly the poor 
in Jerusalem because this is in the middle of the first century and Jerusalem is under attack. This is somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 A.D. Jesus died in 33 A.D. And by 55 A.D., Israel was a headache to the Roman Empire. Rome ruled all the civilized world, and nobody could rule themselves. Nobody could rule themselves independent of Rome. If you lived in, uh, if you lived in anywhere in this world, Rome was the boss. If you lived in Greece or Israel, they'd let you rule yourself until you got out of hand. And if you got out of hand, they would send armies in there to stop you and slow you down from what you were doing. <coughs> At this time, it was in 70 A.D. At this time, there's a lot of insurrection. That's where the is Israel is trying to mount some kind of defense against the Roman Empire, and they're not big enough to do that. They had one leader named Jesus Bar Kokhba, and he tried to have an insurrection against Rome, and he failed in it, and he ended up dying for it. Well, during this time period, Jerusalem is under attack from the Roman Empire. They would, they would rebel against Rome. Rome would come in. They were doing all kinds of correction. And Israel was practically starving to death. So what's happening in this 8th and ninth chapter, this is about, it's not about the tithe. It's not about anything other than offerings for the poor. When you get over into the ninth chapter, and when the when the ninth chapter says in verse eight, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency and all things may abound to every good work. And he says, uh, look up back at verse seven. Every man according to the purpose in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly. He's talking about giving to the poor. To the poor. He's not talking about the tithe. Or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Hilaros, H-I-L-A-R-O-S. It doesn't mean hilarious like some preachers have said. It means sacrificial giver they when it comes to giving to the poor these two chapters are about the poor if you look back up if you go back to chapter 8 and you got Titus coming to coming to Corinth to get money if you go back to verse 6 Titus has come and he's going to take money to these people let me read this verse about Titus in so much, well, first of all, I got to back up a little. Moreover, brethren, verse 1, 
do ye to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. He's giving Macedonia credit for meeting the obligation of Corinth because they're too tight to do their obligation. Macedonia is up here. No, over here, excuse me. This is the Aegean Sea. This is the Adriatic Sea. The Aegean Sea right up here is Macedonia, is Upper Greece, and the Macedonian people that gave to Corinth down here was Philippi and Thessalonica. So they were sacrificing to send money, and Paul is giving Philippi, anytime you see Macedonia, he's talking about Philippi and Thessalonica. They were two churches right next door to each other. And he said, they're the ones that's, how is it that this great trial of affliction in abundance of their joy and their deep poverty, their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of the liberality. Well, he talks about Titus coming in verse 6. Inasmuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, so he would also finish in you the same grace also. And he's talking about all through this chapter, them giving. He mentions Titus again in verse 16. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care in the heart of Titus for you, for indeed he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. So he's delivering to you some monies that's been given to him by the Macedonians, by Philippi and Thessalonica. Then he talks about Titus again in verse 13 of chapter 8. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you or our brethren be inquired of, they are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. And he speaks of Macedonia again in chapter 9, verse, let's read 1 and 2. For it's touching the ministry to the saints. He's talking about the saints that are in Jerusalem. I'll show you that in a minute. It is superfluous for me to write unto you, for I know the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that would be Philippi and Thessalonica, that Achaia, that's the little part, the bottom part of Greece, was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked uh, many. So yet have I sent the brethren, lest our boast of you should be in vain in this behalf, that I said you may be ready, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me. He's talking about Macedonia giving and meeting the needs of the people in Jerusalem, and I'll show you that in a moment. When you look back at the 11th chapter of 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, he says to the Corinthians in verse 7, Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I told you it was free. I preach it without cost. I I give it to you free. I robbed other churches taking wages of them 
talking about Philippi and Thessalonica. I robbed other churches to do your service that you were supposed to do. Corinth was a sleazy church. You talk about backward and not willing to do their do what they were supposed to do, but he's talking about the offerings going to Jerusalem. Now go back. I got to tie this in with some other verses. Go back to. Uh, go back to Galatians 6. Go to Galatians 6. Not 6. Yeah, Galatians 6. I'll give you this, and then I'll give you a couple other verses. Galatians 6, verse 6. Where does your tithe go? It goes to the person that's teaching you truth. That's what this says right here. 6 and verse 6. Let him that is taught in the word communicate unto him that teacheth in all good things. The word communicate is a form of koinoneo. It's K-O-I-N-O-N-E-O. It's a form of koinonia. K-O-I-N-O-N-E-O. It means to fellowship or give gifts to him that teaches you truth. I tell people, don't support that free will church. You're propagating free will. Now, that's who you give to. Now, look over here in in uh, 1 Corinthians 16. First Corinthians 16 and verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the collection for the saints, he's talking about those that are at Jerusalem. As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, that's even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him that there be no offerings or no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. So the saints he's talking about are the poor people in Jerusalem that's under attack by the Roman Empire. And he said, we will send that liberality that you're supposed to be giving, but it's coming from Galatia. So he's having to get money from Galatia and from Philippi and Thessalonica to do the duty of the Corinthians. Corinthians were selfish. They didn't want to meet their need. They don't want to meet their obligation. Now, let me give you another couple ones. First Timothy six. First Timothy six. I want you to see this was for the saints at Jerusalem because they're being attacked by the Roman people. All right, 1 Timothy 6. Six. Look here at 18. Eighteen. 
We'll look at 17. Charge them that are rich in this world, Timothy. He's writing to Timothy, who's pastoring the church at Ephesus. He said, if people are rich, not in the sense we'd speak of rich, but they got plenty in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, which is money, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, the people that have extra money, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. That word communicate is a form of the same word, kononeo, kononikos, that they be willing to distribute, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. He's saying, if you really are a true believer, you'll be free with your giving. I don't normally get into this. Now, look back here at 1 Corinthians. Here is the picture of the tithe and who it belongs to. Do I have any time, Mike? Let's go over here to 1 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. You've got to separate the giving to the poor. The giving to the poor is what... 8 and 9 is all about. I didn't have time to go through the entire chapters. That's what 8 and 9 is about. But the tithe was transferred to the preacher. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. And I'm gonna, I've read this before. I'll give it again. 9 verse 7. Who goeth to warfare at any time of his own charge? Do you have to buy your own rifle when you go into the you go into the military? Should you buy your own ammunition? Should you buy your own sword? No. The government you're going to fight for does that for you. Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not the fruit thereof? You mean if you plant a vineyard? Paul is saying this to say you got to support the preacher and the work. Now I'm not going to be drawing a more money or getting extra money. When you give extra money, it'll go to TV. It'll either go in the building fund or go to TV or go to pay the bills around here. It takes about thirty-five to $37,000 a month to run this ministry. Or who feedeth the flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? You mean you're going to be a shepherd? He's talking about himself. Saith I these things as a man, or saith not the law the same also? And he illustrates with the law what he says. For it is written of the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. When the ox is treading, going in a circle, and has the yoke on his neck, and he's treading out the corn, does God care for oxen? You can't put a muzzle on the ox. You've got to lead, let him eat all of the corn that he's treading if necessary. Or saith he it altogether for our sakes, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written. And he that plows should plow in hope that he had, that thresheth in hope should be partaker of the hope. He's saying, I am preaching to Corinth. You're a bunch of cheapskates, a bunch of tightwads, 
you won't manage them having to borrow from Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia to pay your bills. That's how cheap they were. He said, I robbed other churches to do your service that you're supposed to be meeting. If we have sown into you spiritual things, if I've come and preached there at Corinth, shouldn't you give me carnal things? Carnal is the word sarkikos. It means physical. If we have sown into you spiritual things, is it a great thing? If we shall reap your carnal things? If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? Nevertheless, he said, I should be able to partake of whatever it takes for me to live, me and my partner, Timothy, or whoever's with me, or Titus. Nevertheless, we have not used this power over you and told you you have to do this. I borrowed money from other churches. The whole idea of this is help you understand what 8th and ninth chapter of Second Corinthians is about. It's benevolence. It's not when people say, God loves the cheerful giver. That's not about the tithe. Suffer all things, lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar... That's talking about the Levites in the Old Testament. In Numbers 18 and 5, they ministered around the altar or partakers of the altar. And in that same chapter of Numbers 18, he said the Levites got the tenth of the tithe. Then he says in verse 14, Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel, which is me and Timothy and the guys with me, should live of the gospel, should live of physical money that you should be giving to take care of us but you're not so we're robbing other churches do you do your duty Corinth and then I'll give you one other and this is where he says I give the gospel without charge and down in verse 18 I preach the gospel and I make the gospel of Christ without charge I'm not charging you I'm charging Philippi and Thessalonica and Galatia and get money from them to pay your duty and look back over at Hebrews 7 I'm just trying to separate and you and you separate the verse there in in 2 Corinthians 8 that Jesus became poor that you might become rich we are rich in faith we're not rich in money we're not supposed to be. And then over here in Hebrews 7, he's talking about the tithe through the entire. When people say the tithe is not in the New Testament, you're ignorant. In Hebrews 7, he talks about the tithe all the way through this, all the way down here. Uh, verse 11, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, he's been talking about the tithe, for under it the people received the law, that further need was there that in it, that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek, that was Christ in that office, and not called after the order of Aaron, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change of, also of the law 
metatithame, a transfer. Meta is a transfer of the tithe from the order of Aaron to the order of Melchizedek. And that and we are priests and kings that now goes Meta Tithame. That's the word transfer. There's a transfer, a change that goes to the preacher. I very seldom ever read this, but I had to explain that in verse. I skipped a lot of verses, but I had to explain that in the 8th chapter of Second Corinthians where he says, uh, where he says that you, by Jesus became poor that you might become rich. And I had to explain that verse along with the ninth chapter where he says that God loves the cheerful giver. People try to insert that for the giving to God. But the giving to the poor is separated from the giving to God. It's two different offerings. And eight and nine, there's not a commentary you'll look at that those men have studied this when you look at pulpit commentary that has been passed from one generation to the other and men have studied all of these things for decades for hundreds of years I hope you can see these charismatics are the lionest bunch of people walking you can't give to get from God he owns everything if you have anything, I love that verse. Who maketh thee to differ from another? What dost thou have that thou dost not receive from God? And you've received it from God. Why are you growing as though you didn't get it from him? It's, we don't have anything to give to him. He gives us a new heart. And we know we owe everything to him. Everything is to God. And that's what predestination's about. It's about conforming to the likeness of Christ. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for truth. Cause us to continue this work. Open many doors for the ministry. Lord, if, if it's your will, supply the way for us to get this building we need. Fight our battles. Lead us tree legs. Christ's name we pray, man. Huh? That was the most I ever remember going through verses with you. <laughs> <laughs> you hadn't been around then. <laughs> you hadn't been around enough. I've been here for a little while. I go through the verses a lot. How's your mother doing? How's your mother doing? I said, how's your mother doing? People keep asking me that. That's, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even... I'm not checking on her. You're not around her any? No, I'm not. No, the last time I told her, she told me to take my Jesus and get out of here. Oh. Get out of the house. Told me to take your well, Jesus and get out of here. Oh. She said, you take your Jesus and get out? 
she kicks you out in the rain. She must really be a tender-hearted woman. No, I told you the truth. I said, I've seen you carry your Bible. I've just never seen you read it. She didn't like it. <laughs> seen you carry your Bible. I've never seen you read it. That's plain words. She didn't like the truth. <laughs>